Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey friends, have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we may still struggle in our intimate relationships? My husband and I have a great relationship, but we are not relationship coaches. And we know that yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational support from a relationship specialist. If you're going through some kind of challenge right now in your relationships, my friend Jason Gaddis at the Relationship School can help. Jason's team will pair you up with a skilled relationship coach, and within 48 hours, you'll be getting private one-on-one support on whatever you're going through relationally. And right now, for my listeners only, Jason is offering half off one month of relationship coaching. Head over to relationshipschool.com slash Laura to get the deal and watch your relationships improve. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today, I have a beautiful guest, Kanika Chada Gupta. I just met Kanika and I'm just falling in love with her. She is such a talented woman and mama. She is a born storyteller and pivoting expert. She's started off in, as a television anchor in India. And we talk about that in her experience with being there at the time that Slumdog Millionaire, one of my favorite movies of all times, came out and how she got to interview the cast and and be involved in that. And then she's moved back to the U.S. and pivoted again and became a digital marketing strategist. And now she's a podcaster with three young kids. So she has twins and then another child. She had three kids in basically a year and a half. She is full of energy, full of light, full of purpose. And so we talk all about parenting and organization and life and joy and tips for moms. So we cover it all. Make sure you tell me how you like this and enjoy my talk with Kanika. 
Welcome, Kanika. I'm so happy to have you on today, fellow mother, entrepreneur, and much more. Thank you, Laura. The pleasure is all mine. Well, I want to launch into your background because you have so many, you have so much expertise in a variety of ways. But starting off from television and then marketing, were you always a creative individual and, and were you always kind of comfortable in front of people? Absolutely. Or is that something you had to develop? Yeah, you were. Yes. Yeah. I think it was so innate. And I feel like, you know, I'll take it back to when I was little. My parents immigrated from India to the US when I was two. And and I feel like that really shaped who I was as far as my identity. And so though in my roots, I was very South Asian and kind of staying true to my cultural heritage. I was very American. And the same goes for my creative. You know, I was just this overachiever student, I would say. And so I did my science and math that my parents wanted. But then creatively, I really gravitated towards journalism and storytelling. And in my youth, well into my adulthood, dance. I, I, I was an Indian, trained Indian classical dancer in the art form of Kuchipudi specifically, and then went on to join a troupe in New York called the Sa Dance Company, where you know, we performed at Ailey and the Museum of Art and Design and many other prestigious venues. So I, I feel like I tapped into a little bit of the rational, logical right brain, and then you know my other interests were well into the left brain side of things. Can you tell me a little bit about Indian dance? Because I have experienced it some and I find it so, it just sparks joy. And at least the, the one that I tried was a lot of the head movement. Yes. Is that, yeah. So can you, <laughs> what is that? Yeah. What is that? I, cause it's so fun and it, but it's, it's challenging for those of us who weren't born doing that. Yes. Yes. What I love about Indian dance is that Indian dance has three very distinct components, nritta, nritya, and natya. And I feel like that really sets it apart. So nritta is known as pure dance. It's all things technical. So if you look at the footwork, it's much um, like river dance. You know, it's very technical on the beach and very elaborate. Nritya is uh, rooted in abhinaya, which is emotion. And so it's it's so distinct when you watch an Indian dance performance, but we are trying to evoke some sort of emotion in the audience, you know? And so there were dance pieces where I was actually crying on stage, like real tears streaming down my face because the music and the piece and the storyline uh, warranted it. So that's where, you know, Nritya comes in and Nadia also has facets of Abhinaya, the emotions on one's face, but Natya is drama. And so we're telling a story. It's like all the world is a stage as, you know, a Shakespearean once quoted. So like it's, it's rooted in that drama that we're trying to portray something that's happened. And so a lot of it is from, derived from the epics, the, the Hindu epics, whether it's a Ramayana or a Mahabharata. But you're acting out all these different characters, you know, the villains and the demons to so the kings and the princesses. And each one has their own arc and story to tell. So Natya allows you to bring that to life. And that's what I love about dance because it's not just movement. It's so much more. It 
it's something that's so visceral and you feel it in your core and your heart. Yeah. And that's what emotions are. They're like, you know, energy in motion. They're, they're, they're feeling that we have. And I absolutely agree with everything you said, because I felt all of that when I was practicing myself, but also just observing the people. And it really sounds like you're, you have a strong connection to your heritage. I'm, I'm curious as someone who immigrated, was that ever something that you struggled with staying attached to that? Did you ever feel like you kind of wanted to leave it behind, become fully American? Yeah, no, I, I think that we definitely had, you know, those thoughts running through our head, especially growing up in a community where it was a little bit more, you know, homogeneous. And I actually tried to challenge it. I, I still remember in third grade when we had a talent show, I chose to do a Kushikuri uh, dance piece for my class um, in the assembly. And so the principal, all the grades were there and all the teachers and faculty. And I was dressed in this red um, and gold costume and jewelry, headdress, bangles, the um, altha, which is the red marker on my hands and feet the bells, you know, decked out in the garb. And, and after my performance, I wondered, you know, are my friends going to think I'm weird? <laughs> you know, that I have mm. this um, whole other identity, but they loved it. They absolutely loved it. They just, they're like, wow, it's so ornate and so pretty. And, you know, tell us what everything means and, you know, why you're wearing that, and why you danced and were, you know, mouthing the lyrics that way. What were you saying? They were so curious. And I think that set me on my path to embrace where I'm from. And so if it was telling friends and, and you know, teachers about Diwali every year, and I do that for my kids now, you know, I, I took Diwali to the nursery school and, you know, kind of educating about India, I, I take every opportunity that I can. But then, you know, on the flip side, it was hard because, you know, I had to break down what homecoming was to my parents. <laughs> they were like, well, why? <laughs> you know, what's up with these football games and, and having to go to dances and stuff? <laughs> it was so foreign to them. So, yeah, there was definitely this, you know, two worlds that we had to kind of straddle. But, but it, it made me, you know, very much who I am. And, you know, it's why I like telling stories now. I can imagine. It's almost you have an advantage that some of us don't by having two very large worlds to draw upon and, and that they don't have to negate each other, but they can really embellish each other. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that, like you said, that that has given you a lot of weaving material for storytelling. Yes. So how did you become an anchor? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I'll take it back to my childhood again, because I think, you know, those formative years really make this lasting impression on your life. So news was just like a mainstay in our house. We always had the news on. And I loved watching Connie Chung and Peter Jennings. And, and one thing that was ritual was every day at four, my mom, my grandmother, my sister, my aunt, and me would pile together on her small sofa in her in my mom's bedroom and watch Oprah at four. Mm. <laughs> and it was something that I just, I, I still remember so vividly, but she had this ability to, you know, interview a criminal or an inmate or a celebrity. And those stories stuck with you. 
you know, and I, I just, I have this photographic memory. So I almost remember every interview that I saw and could even quote what a celebrity said or whatever it may be. And so that's how I knew I wanted to go down this path and, and this particular path of journalism. So I went to uh, Boston University for undergrad where I majored in international relations and then University of Miami for grad school where I earned my master's in broadcast journalism. And then on a whim, I moved to India. So it's funny how life comes full circle. But this was because many mentors in my field said, you know, consider being in an international market because television, especially broadcast news, is is booming in those areas much more than on the national level. So I thought, okay, let me just move to India and see what happens. And, and that there, there were only a handful of international networks. There was CNN and BBC and Times Now, which is owned by Reuters. And I gave myself a month and was, you know, eventually hired by CNN. And it was the most fruitful, immersive experience I could have ever asked. I started as a producer and within six months became an anchor and, you know, worked a lot of late nights and worked my butt off and and began anchoring the show that I produced called Each Night. And I covered everything from the terror attacks, the 2611 terror attacks that happened when I was just a month into the, and I interviewed survivors. And Slumdog Millionaire was another milestone event. And that was something that really put India on the map, winning Best Picture at the BAFTAs, at the Oscars. And one thing that kind of allowed me to hone in on my style of storytelling, which is now at the intersection of um, entertainment, human interest, and family. This one piece that I did really cemented it for me. So when there was this whole hoopla around some dog millionaires win, I, instead of kind of focusing on the two leads, Faith Patel and Frida Pinto, so I chose to interview the young child actress, Rubina Ali, and she played Latika, the main character in the movie, and she was cast by Danny Boyle, the director, from the slums. And she was actually from the largest slum in the world, Nairobi. There's a million residents that live there, and it's in the heart of Bombay, where I was. And so we did a whole day in the life expose. And she took me through just how, how she lives, the cold floor that she slept on, the shanties where all her relatives lived, how they pulled together their resources to make lentils and, and roti or bread on big cauldrons in the middle of the uh, community. And if you can only imagine this young eight-year-old you know, is born in abject poverty like this. And now she's getting on a plane for the first time and she's walking the red carpet at Kodak Theater to accept her Oscar. Those are the stories. Oh my gosh, I have the chills. <laughs> oh, like, I don't think you could write something no, that no. magnificent, really. Yes, and it's it really, it's a real life story. And that's the kind of storytelling like I like to do is that, you know, it's heartwarming, it's poignant, it lasts, it just stays with you and it makes you, um, it's, it incites some sort of change in your thinking and way of life to appreciate like the beauty that, humanity is, you know, and so that's kind of what led me down this path to what I'm doing now. Well, that 
just P.S. is one of my favorite movies of all time. I think, it, you know, there's very few movies I'll see multiple times just because there's always more to see. But I've seen that, you know, number of times I've showed it to my kids every time it does this incredibly challenging walk of being inspiring, so inspiring, and also so revealing of, of you know, some really grave situations. Right. Ones that we would, you know, most of us would not ever fully believe, you know, in, in that, like you said, a million people le- live in this kind of abject poverty. Yeah. But it was just, it was, it was a beautiful story and, and, and so brilliantly and cleverly written. But um, that's amazing that you got to be there during that time too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So it makes yeah. me wonder, like, I imagine that is a high octane life, you yeah. know, of mm-hmm. like information coming in, talking to people. There's just so much pinging around. Was it challenging to leave that for your next stage? Yes, it was. I I enjoyed the buzz and the hustle bustle of the newsroom. And, you know, being in India, like your five senses are heightened <laughs> on all levels. You know, you, right, you've, you've been before, so you know, but it's like, you know, the colors, the sounds, the flavors, like everything is, you know, just like on another level altogether. And, and I enjoyed it for that time, but I think just, you know, life happens. And the reason I moved back was for love. I I was seeing someone at the time and I knew I wanted to see where things would go. And he's now my husband. And so I think Mm. I, I'm glad I trusted my gut on that one. And yeah, I, I took me back to New York and I continued working as an executive producer and director of programming for some leading international networks. And it was great to be kind of overseeing what content is. And I think that's something that we don't think about, but there is a level of agenda setting. The reason why you watch a TV series or you see a certain news broadcast um, in front of you is because Everyone in that organization, from the news director to the anchor, to the producer, to the reporter, to the person on the assignment desk, or if it's, you know, a scripted show in a similar vein, thinks that that's a story that needs to be told, you know? And so on the flip side, when you're a viewer, you don't get to really be the decision maker in that. But when you're on the other side, you are. And so I think it's important to use really that power wisely and for the greater good. So that was, you know, a wonderful experience. And then then I started my digital marketing firm and it was a pivot. But I think the reason I did it was because I felt like, you know, television will always be there, but media was evolving and I wanted to stay ahead of the time. And I and I wanted to be like, you know, rolling with the punches. And so I thought whatever skill sets I have as a producer, as a storyteller, as an anchor, I should be able to parlay that to the digital realm. And, and I did that and started an agency called Chronology, where I help brands build their narrative online from scratch. So your logos and messaging and, and web design and build. And, and that was great. And I did that for uh, five years. And it's still active now, but it's not my 
main jam. The main thing that I'm working on now is, is my podcast and that's become my brand. And that's called That's Total Mom Sense. And it's a fun play on words. Mom Sense to me is our built-in sixth sense. You know, and moms have it. There's a dad sense. It's a grandma sense. It's, it's not meant to be pigeonholed in that sense. But we, we all have this inner knowing that we have to rely on. And I wanted to build my whole show around it because after I had my three kids, I felt so compelled to do it. I had twins. And when they were just nine months old, I got pregnant with my third. So I, I didn't even have a beat to think. But when I had them all, I was just you know yearning for answers, just like a journalist. It was like, somebody give me some answers. I need to problem solve, you know? And then I thought, you know, why, why don't I just take the mic? And as I find out the answers, be able to disseminate this enlightening information to the masses and, you know, in the most organic and, you know, authentic way possible. Well, it's such a beautiful endeavor and it's so needed. I mean, I think when moms really come together and we support one another, we can handle the challenges and the, and the, you know, the triumphs, but you know, there, I think it's, I want to just kind of unpack a little bit because I love that mom sense idea, but, and I was reading what you had said, you knew from a young age, you always wanted kids. So let's say somebody, because there are people out there that didn't necessarily have that, like they didn't say they didn't want kids, but they didn't have that thing, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm going to be a mom. I can't wait to be a mom. And they, they're doubting this kind of natural sense. What are, some, what are some early pointers you can give to those moms who are like, I'm a mom, I found a partner and I've decided to become a mom, but I really don't know what I'm doing. I don't feel like I have, I'm not equipped for this. Help. <laughs> yes, yes. No, I, I think it's, that's such a great question. I, I think it's something that, you know, you, you kind of figure out as you go. There was uh, this funny quote I came across. It says, parenting is like folding a fitted sheet. No one really knows how to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Those fitted sheets are a motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah, I hate those. And and there's some that, you know, yeah, you could just tuck it in and and make it this perfect looking rectangle. (laughs) But it's, yeah, it's not um, common to to know how to do that. So yeah, you just, you, you do it how you feel is best, you know? And so even if you feel like you don't have those maternal instincts and it's something you've always wanted, I think, you know, really just sitting with yourself and and just entertaining the idea of if you were to have this life that you bring into the world, you know, how would you want to help shape them into reaching their highest potential? And, and a lot of it forces you to go back to your childhood, face those generational traumas that I know I had. And it's just, you, you face them head on. And then what's so empowering is that you actually get to rewrite everything. You know, sure, your, your child is uh, going to be his or her own independent thinker and, and conscious mind. So I think it's, it's not steering them in a direction of being like you in any way. But if there were things that were unsettling that you know you want to unlearn that happened to you in your childhood, you get to write that in this one and you get to Mm -hmm. fix that. And so I think that's, you know, 
a huge reason to, to become a parent, you know? That gave me the chills because it is, it's like almost you can, you can't have your childhood back, but you can actually experience a newness of your own childhood through the experience of raising a child by making choices that, that are different, like what you would have wanted or you think you would have wanted. And that's what you can give. And I think that is, that's, that's like probably the best advice right there. So that was perfect because I do think that people that might be hesitant or not trust themselves, maybe they came from a place where they didn't get those skills or they didn't see that nurturing or they don't feel like it's naturally, you know, some kids you just see, like my daughter, she's just a nurturer. Like it is just, I don't even, I don't think she got, she might've got a little bit from me, but she just had that. Like, you know, my son was born and she was, she just wanted him as her doll. It was, there was never any competition. It's like, she does that with friends and she just, she'll, that's going to be her. That'll be natural to her because she already has that wiring. But just because you don't have that or didn't have it, doesn't mean that you can't foster it and develop it and then feel how lovely that is to take care of and, you know, mold and shape in a way, um, the environment at least that you would want to have lived in. Yeah. That's great advice. So what have you learned from having three kids in, you know, two and a half years is no piece of cake. You, you know, from when I've talked to you, I'm a triplet. And then my mom had a two and a half year old. So she almost has everybody beat. There's nobody that can quite top her with four in two and a half years, but it doesn't matter. By the way, anybody that has one and feels like you're struck, you know, it, it's not a numbers game. Like there's no, but it's just that there, there are more, you get outmanned. So what have, what have you learned f- not only for your, like for your self-care, what, what do you, what have you observed that makes you a better mom for your own self-care? And then let's talk a little bit about what your kids have taught you, but start with yourself. Sure. Yes. And, you know, I actually just did this campaign for the podcast with March of Dimes and interviewed Kelly Rowland, who's one of their um, spokespeople. And she's um, so beautiful and eloquent. And, and the whole campaign is Moms Come First. And it starts with mom. And so I love that we're starting there because, you know, we were all born from a mother. And even though she gives, 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 it's like, let's forget, let's not forget where it all started. And if you are a mother, give yourself um, that credit and validation and grace always. So for me, I think I um, was very particular about setting boundaries and and knowing what I felt were non-negotiables for myself and then the things that I could delegate. You know, and I, I think that's that's so important. We did have help and support with a night nurse when I had the twins and you know a nanny during the day. And I and it was it was such a privilege. I felt like where I wanted to show up was I nursed all three of my kids. And so, you know, you have this like internal alarm that's going off every three hours <laughs> you know, for mm-hmm. a year that it's like, oh, you know, somebody's hungry, somebody's feeding. And it, it's amazing that connection you feel because even when I was at like Target, I would be lactating at the time <laughs> that, you know, one of the twins needed me. So it really just, I feel like that was something that I showed up for. And I said, this is what I'm doing. But then in order to give myself space, I would make sure that I, you know, incorporated time to go for a run or go to a workout class or just, you know, just kind of sit with my thoughts, journal. And I, 
I made sure that I had caretakers in place to take care of the little ones so I could do that. And for me, it's like self-care is far more spiritual. It's not like, you know, putting on a face mask and, and doing a bubble bath. It was like, you know, it, it's it's more doing that inner work and and cultivating that relationship with yourself. And when you become a mother, I think you lose it because so much of your being and you know your own sustenance is contingent on your babies and so you know you you forget who you are so yeah giving myself that time um to meditate and journal was was great and with the kids i mean i'm learning every day and i think you know because i had all three in one full swoop i was thrown into the deep end but you know, I do believe that the universe gives you what you can handle. And, you know, I, I think that is a very encouraging thought that it's like, I, I've got this, you know, I have, these are my cards because I, I can do this. I can figure it out. And they've taught me that I can't be so type A and controlling. <laughs> um, I, I'm even addressing my OCD, I would say, head on. I very, very tidy and neat and organized. Like, you know, my, my pillows are at right angles. Like, and that's exhausting as it is, you know, but I, mm. I think it's, it's something that I'm dealing with even more now that I have the kids, you know, that I'm like, oh, wow, I, I really care about this, you know, and I'm making this a part of my day. And I, I, I shouldn't have to because I should be okay with the 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 mess or the you know chaos here and there. It's it's you know part and parcel with child rearing, and so it, it's nice to be able to do that work to to change, and then the the patients, you know, to be able to really speak to them on a level like they're adults. You know, we're even my three year old. You know, he's. I can speak to him as I would an adult. And so if he wants to, you know, throw a little tantrum or, or whine about something, kind of making sure that I say, you know, what's wrong? Let's talk it out. What's bothering you? And then validate. Oh, I see. You know, you really, you know, you want to find that dino that's missing and <laughs> and now that's we're gonna so have to go hard. Look. Yeah, I know I it's know. hard, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you you check yourself because you want to laugh your ass off that you're even having this conversation. But it, you know, it's important to do that, you know, that they, they that they feel um heard. And at the end of the day, all that a child needs is to feel safe, loved, understood. Mm-hmm. That's it. Safe, loved, understood. And so if you every single interaction you have with them. If you can like check yourself and say, do they feel all these things? Then you're good. I love that. I love that. It is such a journey, motherhood, and it is such a blessing too. I mean, I just, I'm on a much kind of, you know, a little bit more later in the game. And I can tell you that it is, for me, each chapter just got better and better. I was one of those that I never really mourned too much when, you know, they're like going to school or, you know, what I, I just was like, now there's so, you know, because they're, they're my, they're just constantly evolving and to witness it is just wonderful. And now to be at this point where I have an almost 20 year old and just turned 17 year old, 
Um, yeah, it's so it's, it's really magical. And it's, and I think that's also good to know that, that enjoy every part, but there are going to be also some things that are hard. And then there's the next stage and then the new chapter. And like, isn't this exciting too? Yes. But I, 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 and getting back to the mom thing, it just reminded me when my kids were little, I had a whiteboard and I just put on there when mama's happy, everybody's happy. And that saying was up there along with a lot of other little quotes. And I, I didn't think too much about that. I just thought that it was like, hey, if everybody knows this, like, because really everything evolves around mom for a while. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you're always there or not. There is a presence of mom or whoever is the mom figure, the primary caregiver. Yeah. And it was always fascinating to me how many women, and I hope, you know, this is again different because I have older kids. I hope though that it is changing that many women have a lot of guilt associated with spending time for themselves or doing things for themselves. And that for some reason always surprised me. I just, I never had that. And I Mm -hmm. think it's maybe because I was, I don't know, I just inherently knew like, I got to take care of me. And then I'm a much better person for everybody, including my children. And so I would repeat that quote to people like, you are going to be better. If you're happier, they're going to be happier. And what would you say to the moms out there who are struggling with yeah, that sounds all great, but I there's I have no time for myself. Mm, yeah, no, I know it's it's hard, and I think because we're pulled in so many different directions, you you feel that guilt. You know, those who are stay at home moms wish they were working. Those who are working wish they could be home with their kids. <laughs> so either way, you're going to feel like you're missing out. But yeah, I would say just be vigilant with your schedule. You know, I follow my Google calendar to a T and I think it's so important to do that. And so if you say that like, you know, this one hour in the mornings is my time to, you know, enjoy meditation, make my steaming pot of tea, sit, whatever, then then carve that time out and make sure that there's no interruptions, you know? And I think that way you are filling yourself up and you're filling your cup first. You can't fill from an empty cup. And then when you are with your kids, you're not going to feel guilty, you know, that I I didn't take care of myself first. But yeah, I I think I want to diminish the whole idea of of mom guilt and guilt and shame as a whole. There's a really great book. A friend of mine wrote, Eve Brodsky, wrote this uh, book called uh, Unicorn Space, Find Your Unicorn Space. And, And this is her second after her book, Fair Play which is also a great read on dividing the workload at home. And that's something that all families should definitely do, especially in this pandemic life that we have been through. But my unicorn space is that's your special time. And it's something that, you know, it could be you honing in on an interest that fills you up. And, and for me, it's very much my podcast and my work. And so I feel like that's my life purpose. And, and for you, it's yoga and your podcast and your clients and students that you're helping on their journey that fills you up inside. So if you are working you know, a job that you don't love, make sure you find unicorn space and you're doing something that you do love so that, that that's your time and you're, then you're just not going to feel... You know, and don't feel guilty about it. That's, that's for you. I love that. That's wonderful advice. Well, Kanika, this was wonderful getting to know you a little bit more. Where can people find out more 
um, information about you and your podcast? Sure. Thank you. So the podcast is called That's Total Mom Sense. And we even have a spinoff show with a dad and tech founder. He's a very devoted father of two called What Matters Most with Maple. And so you can find those on um, anywhere you listen to podcasts and on my website, that's totalmomsense.com. And I'm very active on Instagram and Twitter to a degree. And so my handles there are at Tanika Chada Gupta. Amazing. We'll have all that in the show notes, but make sure you check out what this lovely woman is doing and bringing into the world. I love how you've just forged your creative path and who knows what's coming in the future, but I'm sure whatever it is, it'll be brilliant. So thank you so much. Thank you, Lara. You're a light and I applaud you on all that you've achieved in your life and how you're helping uh, pay it forward for everyone who's listening and those who work with you. It's just the pleasure is all mine. This is just such a wonderful conversation. Oh, thank you so much. And for everyone listening, as always, I'm pulling for you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.